Mr. Jason Boza. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, we. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think. So, fun enough, right? Well, we'll see. Yeah, I think we have to be uh, politically correct. And... No, not at all. No, I can no. swear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Probably not good for business, but okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, I, I actually uh, before you came over today, we were having breakfast. So I was asking Dad, and I'm like, "Did Jay used to throw me in garbage cans too, or was it just Jordan?" And he said it was just Jordan. So I said, "Okay, good. it was so, Jordan." So it's good, yeah. Used to tape them up and throw them in the garbage cans. He deserved it, so it's fine. Jordan was a lot of energy. (laughs) And back when, I mean, he must have been, what, five years old? Something like that. He would have been about five years old. And uh, in the hockey change room, I'm I'm like a big kid. I love, for some reason, I'm a magnet to kids. Uh, Even my own, which drives me nuts. They just (laughs) constantly want to be on top of me. Um. And so in the change room, he would always, always, well, he was, he was a bugger. Well, no, he was a, a, a great kid. He, he was very social, but he particularly gravitated towards me. And uh, so I would just tape up his hands behind him and stuff him in the garbage can. When I was done, I can't keep up with him. He's got more energy than me. And dad would laugh and yeah. keep him in there. Yeah, that was That's just exactly what would happen. We should have, you should have continued doing that. I think it would have, would have helped him out a little bit. Well, if he comes home today, I can do yeah. that for you. <laughs> Walks in the door, hazing style. I'll and, the hockey tape. Oh, yeah. And um, so you're the owner of Palladio Jewelers. Correct. For people who don't know, which is in Vancouver. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> I'm a fan of your stuff that you guys do. You guys do a lot of really, you guys buy a lot of stuff and you also do a lot of custom jewelry that's very, very cool. And uh, we're all customers of yours and we we've always really enjoyed your stuff so i thought it'd be kind of fun to uh have you talk about the the products and the jewelry business as well because whenever we go into the shop and and see you i remember uh, dad and i went in and uh you spent like half an hour with us talking about i remember it was this two two watches and i swear you spent like 15 minutes talking about this one watch and it was very interesting and it was and then at the end of it it was now what do you think this watch cost and then we both said our stupid guesses because we thought we were in the ballpark. And then you went, no, it's this. And I almost had a heart attack because it was so cool. And wow. then, yeah, I think it was a, um, it was like a, a over a million dollars. Yeah. This pro- watch. Probably was a minute repeater. And, and then you time. said that a guy came in and bought three of them or four of them at once. Well, not at, once. Oh, not at once. Not at once. Not at once. No, no. In not a period of about six months. Okay. That's yeah. pretty close, though. Yeah. We had a, we had a, a very big collector from uh, from China who, wow. uh, of course, since then, the government's locked down. You, you can't get money out, and people are right. going to jail for for owning things like this. So, uh, so yeah, he's, he's, he still comes in, but not, not, that is looking, not looking yeah. at that type of thing anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's yeah. good stuff. So um, now, I guess we'll just kind of start from from the beginning, and we'll just kind of work our way up and, and see where we go. So sure. Palladio, how long are you guys running now? It's 20-ish years? Uh, 1998, we there you go. opened up Palladio. We originally purchased a jewelry store called Swedish Jeweler in 96. Okay. It was in two malls, and uh, wasn't really the level of jewelry and product that we wanted to portray ourselves as so we uh, decided to rebrand and uh move to street level so a boutique single location and 
gave us the opportunity to really focus on on improving the level of, of product that was being offered in Vancouver. At the time, I'm not going to say we were the only ones who did that. There were a lot of other other jewelers that, that were doing high quality stuff, but they were small and we wanted to do it on a little bit bigger scale and uh, we're not Swedish. So we changed yeah. it to a name <laughs> that made a little bit more sense, right? And uh, so were you, inter- like was jewelry a thing that you always wanted to go into? Was it accidental how you got involved? How did that start? Oh, since I was a kid wearing my mother's dresses, I would play with her jewelry. No, listen, was, it was accidental, <laughs> to be completely honest. I, um, uh, in the mid-90s, I was in land development. And in the mid-90s, uh, we had a fantastic government in place, similar to what we have right now. Uh, the uh, NDP was in power. And at the time, though, what when the NDP came in, they chased a lot of businesses out uh, just with, didn't chase them, but what they did is that by the laws and the taxes and the situation, businesses just left. And so there was no, and people were leaving. So there was no need to be in land development if you're not developing anything. Right. And it just so happened at the time, my mother purchased Swedish Jeweler and uh, asked me to come involved. Uh, she asked me if I can come help out because uh, she needed a hand determine who was worth keeping and who had to go so i came in for a three-month stint just to fire people fun that's the absolute absolute truth i had for probably about five years i always thought i was going back to land development but the longer i was in it the more i realized well i know more about this than i do about land development and and things have changed so much i decided uh i decided i was going to stay and 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 from early on, when I first got involved, a lot of friends were starting to get engaged and uh, and get married. So they came to me because they trust me. Lord knows why, <laughs> but they trusted me, and uh, and so I was designing engagement rings, which I'd never done before. So I kind of taught myself. Uh, well, brought out this creative side that I've always had, but it, it was a really good outlet for me for that, uh, and that's how it kind of started. That's really cool. I like that. I don't even know if that was your question, but that's the answer you get. I don't even remember what I asked, but I, I like the yeah. answer. <laughs> you sound like my that's, wife. That, <laughs> that's that's kind of how this show goes. I just yeah. say things and hopefully you say something smarter than I go, good, and then we move on to the next thing. No, Fair. that's good. So yeah, so you just uh, stumbled into it. And and how old, so how old would you have been? I was 26, 27 when I got involved. Okay. I actually got involved in 97. Right. So I would have been 27. And when it came to, so why did your mother ask you to come in and fire people? Was that, was that needed, just something that you kind of, were you good at? I was, I was a great asshole. There you go. Okay. <laughs> no, there you go. No, I, uh, um, well, when she purchased the business, it had a full staff and managers and what have you she realized that some of the people that were working there that she trusted were taken advantage of her she got rid of them i see she stepped in full time um she wasn't really she didn't purchase it to really be in there full time um it was really more to help the existing staff to take ownership of it and they were eventually going to be buying her out but those people were taken advantage so she stepped in got rid of them and she'd been, you know, raising absolute terrors of children <laughs> for 20 plus years. 
And uh, so she being in business is a, is a different game. So she just needed to know, uh, needed somebody she, tr she could trust to help her kind of keep an ear on the, and eyes on the ground. Of course, I stood out like a sore thumb. I looked 12 years old and I wore bright purple suits. So I, <laughs> I, I did. I did. I looked like Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> watching too much WWE trying to trying to take their uh, costumes yeah yeah that's interesting so it's a, a true that's the a true family business then from pretty much day one uh yeah from when well Palladio as an entity right. yes Swedish jeweler was a family business before as well I think it was established in the 50s and then it sold maybe one or two times before we got it as well but it's always been a family business as well, and we just happen to be the last of the family uh, businesses who owned Swedish Jeweler and rebranded it as Palladio. And then in the beginning, uh, what were you guys selling? So r right from day one, was it watches, everything? Was everything. it niche? Okay, everything. so starting from everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, we were doing uh, uh, watches, I think. Well, Rolex we'd always carried. Uh, we were carrying Tag Heuer at the time. We brought in Breitling and Jaeger Lecoultre and uh, a few other brands um, uh, and jewelry, custom jewelry, and, and dealing with some jewelry manufacturers from Italy and Germany and wherever. If, if we liked the product and, and, <clears throat> and the quality, then we would represent it in small batches. Uh, but our main focus has always been designing our own. And since you didn't have, you're not coming from a jewelry background, you're just coming in because your mom needed a hand. Was that intimidating for you in the beginning to, to learn, you know, it's a, it's a completely different business. So I had no intention of learning it. Well, to, I, yeah, I guess right? so, right? So, yeah. so I went into it with the idea that I was in there to fire some people and go back to land development. Um, but I did l teach myself uh, because in order to get the respect of the people that I'm working with, right. they would say, well, you don't know what it's like. Um, sorry, as I scratch my nose, I got this hair tickling me. Um, uh, We're going to be hiring hair and makeup people uh, in a few so. weeks. So, yeah, you just so. missed out on that one. <laughs> um, but uh, the, when I would question people on their sales and their approach and this type of thing, of course... Who am I? Like I said, I look 12 years old and, and I, I'm new to the, the business and the industry. And they would say, well, you don't know what it's like. So I would say, well, okay, good point. You tell me who I should deal with the next person that walks in. And so the staff would tell me, okay, that person figuring that one looks like the profile of somebody who isn't going to shop. And every time they pointed somebody out, I would make a sale. And so it's really just a matter of knowing people and, and dealing with people and listening and, and, and treating everybody respectfully. Not everybody's going to spend $100,000 and some people might only want to spend ten. Well, do you want to help that person or not is really what it boils down to. So I, I earned my stripes. I taught myself sales. I bought selling for dummies. So yeah, really, really from the basics then, yeah. Yeah, I, I really, really, truly did. And, and I'm like, wow, a lot of it's common sense. It's mm -hmm. like I said, it's just knowing people. At the end of the day, you're you're not selling a product to somebody. You are, but what you're really doing is you're matching a product to the emotion that they're purchasing for. So if you can do that, and, and everybody has the capability to do that, it's just do you really want to do that? Um, 
then you can be very, very successful. So I was successful because I, I needed, I needed to do it partly just to make sure that I got the respect of the people who I'm supposed to be potentially firing and, and potentially hiring. Um, I needed to make sure that they were aware that I'm not just talking out of my ass. Um, also, uh, with friends coming to me, asking me about diamonds and jewelry, I needed to make sure that I could confidently tell them what was happening as well. So I, I very, very quickly became the most knowledgeable person in the shop. And, and I was maybe obviously in my position more motivated to do that than others because to others, it's just a paycheck. To me, it's, I was helping my mother out. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you say common sense when it comes to selling. Most of that stuff is common sense. You would be amazed at how it's really not common sense for a lot of people. Well, common sense is not common. That's the thing. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. But everything that people do, no matter what you do for a living, you're in sales. Yeah, 100%. No matter, no matter what it is you're doing, you're in sales. You're selling yourself. You're selling your services. You're selling your product. You're selling everything. But ultimately, you're selling yourself to that person because it's that trust. And in a way that sounds bad because it's almost like, ah, I sold you. Ah, now I could, now I could pull the wool over your eyes. Well, no, I mean, it goes beyond that. You could make a sale by, by pulling the wool over someone's eyes, but ultimately you want to build a long-term customer. And the only way to do that is to be honest and straight with them and to be sincere. I always put myself in the shoes of the client because I hate shopping. I'm okay. A, I hate shopping with a passion. So if I do go out, I want to know that I'm not being fed a line. I, I treat everybody like I would want to be treated myself. And, and and that's the only way I can operate. What about shopping is it that you hate? What, what is it? Is it the fact that you actually have to go somewhere or is it <laughs> like just the, the interaction? I'm, I think over the years I've become a bit of an introvert. I've, okay. I've always been a bit of an introvert. I'm, 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 I'm what you would call a social, social introvert. And that I like being around people but I have to have my downtime from people. So being in retail for now 20 plus years, um, you're around people all the time. You're, and, and it's hands-on all the time. It's staff, it's suppliers, it's uh, clients. Uh, I, in the last 20 years, I could probably say with all honesty, I've maybe gone out for lunch maybe a dozen times. Really? Yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't take five minutes for lunch because I'm always needed for something. Uh, so I basically just either have my sandwich on the, while I'm working and dealing with a, a staff member. If a client comes in, you drop it and you go. So for me, uh, getting my fill at work with, with people, uh, when I'm done at work, I don't want to be around people. Right. And, and, so when I go home, if my wife wants to go out for dinner, I'm always like, well, no, <laughs> I don't. I, so it's not just shopping. I don't like going out in crowded. I don't like being around places where there's lots of people. And, and there's a caveat to that. I like really dark, dingy places. So if I'm going to go shopping somewhere, it's going to be like a skateboard shop or something, you know, <laughs> like not that that's dark and dingy, but it's, but it's unpretentious. It's, it's, right. and maybe part of it is that because a lot of people that we do deal with, uh, are, are, let's call them the 1% and, and a, most of them are fantastic, but a lot of times they're very, very challenging. Um, so for me, I would rather 
spend my time at home, unwind, relax. Uh, now with my kids, of course, I'd rather do that than, than go back downtown and walk through a mall. I, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, with uh, law, when we're particularly with family law, so talking about divorce settlements and it's really interesting because a lot of the times if you talk to those lawyers, uh, particularly in the UK, man, they're very jaded when it comes to talking about people and, and money because you just, you're, you're dealing with it all the time. Yeah. You, same with, um, with children, uh, custody cases. There's that, you know, if you're just constantly having that stuff thrown in your face, yeah, it's going to have, depending on your personality, It'll have some effect. I, it, there's no question. It, it'll have an effect one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But I, I could imagine that if I was in that business, I probably would never want to have a family because it, you would just see the worst of it yeah. all the time. Um, and I'm in a position where we see a lot of great things. I mean, when people come to us for engagement rings, it's a happy moment. Oh, of course. It's a fantastic time. You're The way I always look at it, and I get goosebumps thinking about it every time, is like, wow, somebody's trusting me to create this lifetime piece. Well, lifetime yeah. <laughs> nowadays, right? But it, it, it's a very serious thing and I, I, I'm humbled by it because wow, I get, I get to be a part of that. It's, it's a great honor, a fantastic honor. But then on the flip side, you get people who come in and, uh, and just bark at you nonstop about So, well, I don't understand why you come into a shop if you don't like it. I want to be able to serve everybody, but if you, if I'm rubbing you the wrong way and I don't rub everybody right, you don't have to deal with me. We got other salespeople, but some people just looking for confrontation. And, and part of that comes from they've got other things going on in their life that they're just taking out on you. So you got to learn to let that, you know, slide off your back. You it's know, tough. I think you guys should start getting to selling divorce rings too. I think you guys are boxing yourselves out <laughs> of the market. We've done, no, no, we've done a good business in divorce <laughs> stuff. And there's, there's a certain group of clientele that uh, I don't know what they do for a living and I don't ask. And there's a reason why I don't ask, but, uh, but they're, they're actually very, very well known for, for buying breakup gifts that are quite extravagant. Perfect. There you go. So you guys, are, yeah, you're stealing all my uh, ideas. I'm trying to help you. You guys are they're already probably really more shut up uh, <laughs> uh, uh, gifts, right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And, and so dealing with, uh, difficult clients, well, actually let's, let's kind of go back a bit. So after you got established into the business and I guess you said it was about five years in where you kind of were like, oh, I guess I'm kind of staying now. Yeah. Not going back to land yeah, I mean, development. In the five to 10 year range. Yeah. Okay. What was your role? So uh, are you dealing with clients buying uh, from distributors or manufacturers, uh, creating that's all on you? What was it? What was your role in the beginning? Beginning ish. You're asking me to remember something from almost half my life. You can just bullshit it. It's fine. <laughs> I, I basically did everything. I mean, from goldsmithing. Yeah. Yeah. I created diamonds. No, I don't. Uh, panning for gold. Yeah. <laughs> I, pan, I was panning for the gold. Exactly. I, uh, I mean, really a bit of a jack of all trades. I did, I did everything. I mean, I was dealing with the suppliers, going to the trade shows, deciding what product we would we would purchase for inventory. I didn't do it all. My mother was there helping. And of, course, and of yep. course, with the help of the staff, we'd ask their opinions on things as well. But as things evolved and, and we moved from the two stores into one, our staff reduced considerably. 
uh, we're not doing mall hours anymore. So our, we went from, you know, maybe down to about 25% of our, our, our staff. So a lot more of, of the responsibilities uh, I very willingly took on myself and, uh, and my mother until she retired. But, uh, but to this day, I, I, I would say that I do everything. There's some things in the business that, that are some of our suppliers, they just can't believe that I do all that stuff. Uh, even just the simplest of like social media, the Instagram, the, the, the Facebook stuff, uh, responding to most of the emails that, that come in. Uh, most businesses would pass all that stuff on to their, their sales team. And I, I, I do, but somebody has to make sure that the stuff that isn't getting done gets done. And ultimately I see, well, that falls on me. I'm the only one who's got the vested interest to make sure that it does all go well. So I got no problem doing as much as I can and, and, and all that I can. Um, but, uh, but we're evolving every day and, and, and we'll see how things evolve, you know, in the coming months, years, and, 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 you know, in the future. Uh, but we've got a really good team now and, and, and they're willingly taking on a lot of those roles, which is fantastic. But ultimately the way I see it, a salesperson's job is really to deal with the people when they're in the store and make the sale because that sale allows me to buy other stuff and deal with the suppliers. Um, but when they're not that tied up, absolutely. They can take care of all this other stuff as well. Well, and you need to have your finger on the pulse of, like you said, you have a vested interest. Yeah, you're you're at the top. You're in the owners. So, Absolutely. you know, you, you, it's on you. If, if it, things go well, it's on you. If things go bad, it's on you too. And yeah. easiest way to do that is to just have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the shop. Yeah, that's a double-edged sword though. I mean, mm -hmm. when, you know, you, you, you can manage it and you can take care of it. But if you grow to a certain point, it almost becomes... I don't want to say unmanageable because uh, I've been able to manage it very, very well and we've grown considerably. Um, but the, uh, the downside of it is that you end up being the, I, I refer to it as a funnel. So you're basically, you're the, you're the, the, the tightest point of that funnel. And if there's ever a clog in a system, you're supposed to eliminate that clog. Well, <laughs> I can easily become the clog if I get, overburdened with other things because maybe the other people don't have enough experience looking after some of that stuff. So as it is right now, like I say, we're diversifying some, or, or I should say sharing some of those, those duties with, with the staff and, and we're, we're evolving. It's, it's working really, really well. There are days I'm overwhelmed, but I think it doesn't matter what business you're in. There's days where you're, you're overwhelmed. You're going to be like, yeah, if I had a gun today, they'd be in prison. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? but, <laughs> Well, that's life, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just <laughs> exactly. Name it. That's always how it's going to be. And sorry, I got uh, some, I'll just give you a heads up. Sometimes when I think of things, I'll just ask them. So they might be a bit out of order. So just, just letting you know, just throwing that out there. So no problem. I'm um, married with two babies. There's, there's, so no, there's no order. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, so cha challenges wise. Yep. What's the difference between, uh, and maybe there isn't a difference, but challenges that you face in the let's say the last five years are they different than the challenges from when you guys were first starting as far as the jewelry business is concerned has it changed that much where it's changed a lot the, okay well the world has changed a lot technology has changed everything i remember when we first started 
uh, I remember uh, I remember the first store when we were at Park Royal that put up a website on their window. They put a website on their window. Well, they put a web their 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 oh, web oh, address. Okay, their okay. web address. Their web address okay, on the window. Okay, I'm like trying to figure that. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> As you can see, I'm not young like you, so I don't know the proper terminology with your fancy little podcasts. But uh, but they had their web address. Okay, there we go. And uh, and I remember thinking, ooh, we got to do that. We got to have a, a website uh, because that's the way things are going to go. And of course, my my mother, who's you know twenty plus twenty one years older than me, she's like, "Well, no, that's not the way we're going because we're this is what our focus is." Right. And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but this focus is going to be that very very soon." And it it took a while to for us to get on board with with some of the technology, and still we're behind the ball in technology. But I think in the niche that we've carved out for ourselves is um, in today versus then is that uh, we've established ourselves as a go-to place, a destination. Um, but it has changed dramatically to get back to your question because I have a tendency to no, no, it's, bounce away. I'm very good politically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just keep, keep talking until you move away from the, from exactly. the, from the question. Yeah. So anyways, cheese is really delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it's changed a lot. I mean, the, the 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 basics are the same. The basics are the same. Your biggest uh, issues uh, uh, with any business is staffing. Doesn't okay. matter. Doesn't matter if you talk to somebody a hundred years ago or today. They're all going to say the same thing. My biggest issue is is staffing. Do I have good staff? Reliable staff? Are they able to do the job? Are they are they eager to do the job? Are they are they motivated? Uh, are they potentially looking to move somewhere else? Those are the things that are always on your mind. Um, but at the same time, I've always been of the opinion of some, it's the kind of like relationships. If my wife, and I've told her this, I said, I'm not the jealous type. If you want me to pretend to be jealous because it makes you feel better, I'll, I'll do it, but it's not going to be sincere and you're going to know. I said, because ultimately, if you want to be with somebody else, there's nothing I can do about it. So you go and I look at staff the same way. I treat, I will treat you well. I will treat you with respect. Uh, probably a lot of situations I believe better than they would treat me. I treat my, my people with more, probably more loyalty than they would treat me. Um, and, and that's the way I see it. They probably see it totally differently and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have different viewpoints, but, um, if ultimately they do want to leave, why am I going to get upset about you not staying? You're obviously not here mentally anyways. So it's doing everybody a favor. They can grow and we can grow. When somebody, when, when somebody leaves, it, I always say it's an opportunity for us to evolve because we get to bring in fresh blood, fresh eyes, fresh ideas, and, uh, and that's good. But th that said, it's kind of like a restaurant. You don't want a lot of turnover because you want to make sure that your regulars... Are comfortable with the people and that's also one of the reasons why i'm hands-on with everything too because no matter who else comes and goes there's always that connection so i'm in the shop every day right and staffing wise <clears throat> what do you look for uh just sale general sales experience because i imagine just and correct me but i would just assume 
the only way you would have jewelry experience is if you were just in the business. That's not, it, it seems like it's one of those types of um, markets where if you're not in it, how else are you going to know about it? Uh, we've hired people with no experience who've been okay. fantastic, and we've hired people with a lot of experience who've been fantastic, and we've hired people with no experience who've been awful, and a lot of experience who've been awful. So I think ultimately what it comes down to is when I'm interviewing somebody or meeting somebody, it's uh, do I think your personality is right is right for this? Experience is always better. Of course. No question. But experience comes in a lot of ways. As I said before, I, you know, sales is about connecting with people. It's about connecting with emotions. And um, maybe you don't know anything about this. I could teach you that, but are you capable of connecting? Because if you don't connect in the first 30 seconds, it doesn't matter how much you say to somebody, they're going to be tuned out and they're going to walk out eventually and never come back anyways. But if you can connect with somebody in, in the first 30 seconds to, a, to 60 chances are even if they don't buy they'll come back okay right and even if they never buy they'll come back because they've got a good connection or at least they'll say something positive that's right about yeah. your business and and the way i look at it is is you have one of three options whenever you interact with somebody you can either leave them with the impression that eh, and they'll never remember you they'll forget about you as soon as they walked out they won't ever remember a thing about you and that's that's not even the worst scenario. The worst scenario is that they were turned off and they're going to go out and tell everybody, don't go there. And we're all guilty of it, myself included. I'm sure I've turned people off and I, and I know for a fact I have, um, not intentionally. But we reach out, to, you know, maybe sometimes it's a decade later that we can reconnect again and, and we have an opportunity to patch that. Um, the other option is to leave them saying, wow, best experience ever. And if they never shop, even if they never shop with you, they will always tell everybody best experience ever and that will get more people in. And then it's up to us to make, make the sales. But we're not a store for everybody. So I'm okay if we don't make the sales if it's because we don't have the product that a client wants. Uh, if we don't make the sales because we failed in, in our job as salespeople and as connecting, then that's a different story. Because I've got lots of friends and family even that are looking for things that I would say, the best thing I can do for you is to tell you where to get that. Because this right. isn't our specialty where we're going to be able to satisfy you in the way that I think you want to, that you'd be satisfied. So the best thing I can do for you is to point you in the right direction. Well, I read um, two things. You can't read. I, well, I can try. You saw the pictures. <laughs> Picture books are my forte. <laughs> but I was uh, in the context of romantic relationships, but I, I've been thinking about it more and more in the context of sales. And the first thing is uh, people never forget how you, they, how you made them feel and always leave someone better off than when you found them. Mm. And, th and yeah. kind of like how you're describing, I mean, that, that's at least that should be if you're good at sales. That really should be where the focus is on one. Like you said, even if they don't buy anything, they're going to leave, but Except, they're not going to, but it's positive. Exceptional right? experience. That's really, if you're in luxury sales or sales of any kind, luxury, uh, 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 exceptional experience. That's really what you should have in the back of your mind. Every, and at the front of your mind, every time you're interacting with somebody, leave them wowed. 
right? I mean, you're on stage and you are, but I'm not saying go out there and act because people can read through that. Yeah. So be yourself, be natural, but be your best self. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue because uh, there was, I remember this way back when I was in, uh, when I was taking media psychology at SFU and uh, I can't remember the guy's first name. I think it was Henry, but his last name's Goffman. And he talked about this, there's you, and then there's the stage version of you. And you're, you're putting on a character, but it's not really a character because it's still you. So it's basically like you put on a mask. It's not that you're not there anymore, but it's a particular self that you're pushing out there. And like even with the podcast, like I try, I'm, I've only done a few, so I'm not nowhere near, you know, the level I want to get to. But I think about that a bit in this context on, okay, I want to be me, but I don't want to let people in too much because how you were saying, I'm like that too when it comes to being a bit more introverted as time goes on. I'm extroverted, but I don't really, the nitty gritty stuff, I keep close to the chest and, and I like to keep it that way. Yeah. And in sales, do you, how do you, is it a situation where you have to assess that person and then you go, okay, I'm going to kind of not really play that character, but this is the attributes that I'm going to highlight more so than if you were dealing with me or my dad, or do you just, you kind of have your approach? Cause you've been doing this a long time now. Well, I, I look at it in two different ways. I, I think that everybody has multiple personality disorders. <laughs> we do. It, it, no, it's it, true though. It's just that we're able to turn them on and off mm -hmm. when we need them for the situations that we need them for. When it becomes a disorder is, is when you can't control it. Well, you're different in church than you are today, right? Exactly. That's the thing. Depending on the, the context of where you are, you're not going to act, you're not going to act the same way. At least I hope not. I don't go to church. Well, they, well, that makes two of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know you're not gonna act the same way you would in church as you would in the hockey room, and you wouldn't act the same way in a hockey room as you would here. Like it's just you just so, adjust to the context of the situation. I, I will say yes. However, so you might that, tape me up. So to me, I would <laughs> throw me to garbage. <laughs> Depending how the podcast. I don't think goes. I could anymore. <laughs> I don't think I could. I'm working out. I might be. I'll, I'll be able to yeah. take it. Like, <laughs> and I'm old. Um, I'll just run. <laughs> So that's the way I used to look at it. I still look okay. at it about this multiple personalities. But about 10 years ago, I had this revelation. I'd been in and out of relationships, uh, romantic relationships, where, uh, and, and, and most people do this, not just guys, but guys and girls do this. Particularly the larger the population, the more likely we've done this. Where in and out of relationships and... And, you know, the first two weeks, uh, it's it's the honeymoon. We're planning. You, you're already picturing in your mind walking down the aisle and naming your children, right? And tell me if I'm wrong. No, you're, you're, you're pretty right. accurate. And then at, maybe on the third or fourth week, you go out for a dinner or something or go out for drinks. And maybe she says or does something or laughs weird. And you're like, <laughs> and you're like, and you're like, oh, that's odd. And you put that in the back of your brain. And you're like, ah, that's, uh, I'm not going to bring it up now. I'm going to put that back here. And you put it back there. And then from that, that's the seed that becomes your escape door. 
that's your back door out of the relationship. And what you do is you pile everything on top. From that point on, whenever you're done with the relationship, you're using that seed to blame the other person for it, right? So all your hangups, you're putting on her laugh or his laugh or, or whatever it is. And you're, you, so you go into the relationship with, with an escape plan. So about 10 years ago, I, I was in and out of these relationships. And, and, and at the end of it all, of course, if, if you're with somebody for up to, you know, let's say six months or a year or two years or longer, God forbid, in a relationship like that. But if you're with somebody <laughs> for that long, you're, uh, you ultimately, uh, uh, you realize, wow, all these, I'll speak for me, all these girls that I've been dating, they're all crazy. Right? All of every single one of them. It's so How weird. is it? How so is weird. it that I am? <laughs> I'm the lucky one to hook up with all these crazy women. The reality is that I'm the common denominator. So when I came to that realization, I'm like, oh wow, yeah, because I haven't been genuine and I haven't been myself. Um, now, being genuine and being yourself, if you like to swear and if you like to poke fun at people, doesn't mean you do that all the time. I mean, you have to be sensitive to people's emotions and things. So, yes, we adapt based on the emotional situation, but we can still be genuine in ourselves all the time. So, as I was saying, 10 years ago, when I decided, oh, I'm, I'm going to look at it a little bit differently, um, to this day, I, I'm not very good at it, but I remind myself every day that my wife, who I've been married to now seven years. We can, we can edit this <laughs> to get the seven. number in. <laughs> we can edit. If I say seven years, I'm probably good because there's okay. six months one way or the other. There you go. <laughs> seven years. Glorious um, years. Sorry, seven glorious. <laughs> glorious. She probably never find this podcast. Anyways. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, I, I remind myself, I, I, I said to myself, I'll backtrack a bit. So 10 years ago, I, I said, wow, what, what can I do to change this? And I thought, okay, I'm analyzing all relationships. I never formally took psychologies and things, but I took philosophies and I took other courses, all just out of personal interest. But I study people and I always have my whole life. So I'm like, oh, Okay. So where, where is it that things change in, in all relationships between, between uh, a husband and wife, between siblings, between parents, child, between friends, uh, and, and, and how do relationships start and evolve? I'm like, oh, wow, I know what the problem is. It's um, when we first meet somebody, we don't know anything about them. So anything goes. We accept anything. We give everything. We have nothing to lose because hey, if you don't like them, you don't see them again. Who cares? But the longer you're in a relationship, regardless of what kind of relationship it is, you've got history. And so that history brings expectation. So if you were to say to me, Jason, I want to do this podcast and I've got history with you where it's gone this way in the past and I come in here thinking, well, this is the way it's going to go. Well, I'm already skewing the way this is going to pan out. So I, I decide with my marriage, I'm going to wake up every morning and try to act as if I've just met her for the first time. Obviously I know her, obviously we've got history and obviously we argue and we bicker and we fight. Um, but I try 
to treat her as if I met her for the first time today. So anything she says goes, it's all okay, but it's tough, especially the longer you are in a relationship. But I think it's essential for us to give people the freedom to be themselves and for us to give ourselves the freedom to be ourselves. So, you know, I'm swearing a little bit here in this podcast with you because I know you guys and you've given me the green light and it's okay. But I do at work too. And I don't do it because, oh, it's a shock thing. It's who I am. And I would say that 99% of the people that I deal with are actually really comfortable with it because, oh, you're walking into a luxury jewelry store and the owner doesn't have his nose up my ass. Oh, wow. Isn't that refreshing? Well, that's the way it should be. You're buying something beautiful. It doesn't mean that it has to be bleached. You know, this whole experience should should be real. You're building a relationship. Well, so. and it's relatable. Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, I've got a friend who was in the, the clothing industry, and he used to send people to me, and he'd call me and say, Jason, what do you do with these people? You've met them for the first time, and they're absolutely in love with you. I go like, I don't know. I, what did they say? Well, they said you told them to go fuck themselves. I said, well, I did, <laughs> but not like that. And it's like, well, they love you. Like, well... You know, I wouldn't say it to somebody as soon as they walk in. Yeah. But yeah, if you but if you time feel and like place. <laughs> somebody's got the same sense of humor and mindset and whatever that you can that you can be yourself in in the most comfortable with your closest buddies, why not? Let that's probably how they are with their closest buddies. So let them know you're one of them. Picture books. I can read. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was so five minutes ago. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because what you're saying, you should uh, you should write a book on that because uh, the book I'm reading that's all tabbed up. It's exactly what you're saying. It's about uh, taking that, yeah. Because I've kind of been in the similar experience where it's like, man, everyone I meet is crazy, and it's like, no, 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 it's you. It's yeah, you. yeah it's, it's definitely you. It's, yeah, but you know, yeah. you have to. Um, Whatever that issue is or insecurity, it's usually an insecurity. <laughs> Seems to be the case most of the time. Yep. Get a hold of it. Fix it. it not even, well, get on the road to fixing it, but just understanding that, okay, you have this thing, whatever it is, that, that gets in the way of you operating at your full potential. Just knowing that it exists typically will help you move on from it and, and yep. repair it so but but in business because because it's about rapport building that that's relate because everything you're talking about is re relationships and you just have the added element of that sales part where you're selling but then you're selling them a product as well so and see i i, I we're talking about selling but i never really see what i'm doing as sales right i really don't and people will say to me, oh you know you're you're gonna sell me something I don't want. I go, no, 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 no I'm, I'm not, not selling anything. All I'm doing is helping you make your decision. Ultimately, you're the one buying. I'm not doing any selling because the truth is I hate salespeople. When, when I went from development into retail and somebody, one of the people that I was working with in, in development called me up and said, oh, you know what? We, we always thought you'd be a good salesperson. I'm like, don't insult me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because in my mind, it's always the used car salesman. It's the right. shyster who's trying to trying to get you to take the lemon off the lot. So I absolutely don't want to do that. The last thing that I want to do is have somebody leave our store with something that they don't like because it's 
really bad advertising for us. Of course. So if somebody walks out of the store with something that they love, they're going to wear it all the time and tell everybody where they got it and what a great experience they had. If they leave the store with something that I convinced them to buy that they don't love, they're going to put it in a sock drawer. Every time they see it, they're going to say, geez, that Jason, he took me for a ride. And then they're going to, oh yeah, I better tell other people don't go there. It's, it's really bad advertising. So for me, even though I could probably double or triple my sales, I'd rather not because I'd rather have good clients than one-time clients. Well, and, the, and there's a ethical element to that too. Um, yeah. Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street guy. Yep. Uh, I took his um, straight line persuasion sales thing, I guess. Yep. Uh, and it was really interesting. And, and so this is uh, post-jail, Jordan Belfort. Yep. So, yep. And he's a very different guy. And, and he talks about, and he said, the difference among the many things I was doing wrong, which got him busted for doing some bad things, but... He said, I was very good at selling and I could convince anyone to buy anything. And that was my problem, was that I was convincing people to buy things, stocks or whatever it was, that wouldn't help them. Yeah. And there's that ethical element to it that you, you don't ever, if you're acting ethically, which you always really should be, um, you really want to match, just as you're saying, you're matching the item to that person. But under no circumstance do you ever convince that person to buy something or invest in something that is not in line with what they want. Yeah. And I mean, just maintaining good ethics is just good for everyday life. But particularly, as you're saying as well, there's these other elements to it that it's going to look bad on, and deservingly so, it would look bad on the business. It would be, you know, you don't want people having a bad idea about you for, for being a grease ball. You know, that's not very nice. So there's all these other elements to it as well, you know, that should, of course, you know, keep, keep you, uh, you know, maintaining those ethics. Of course. But I mean, that's also, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of these, I mean, obviously mental health is a big issue and there's a lot of suicide because of mental health, but, uh, but a lot of mental health problems are because people are going down this path of deception for business growth and even for relationship growth, yep. believing that this is normal, quote unquote normal, because I don't believe there's such a thing as normal. There's a thing as just being yourself. It's relative. It, well, exactly. It's just be yourself. That's the only normal and everybody's different. So you're only normal to yourself. But if you try to fit into somebody else's mold because they're successful this way it's okay to have mentors but if you're trying to mimic you lose yourself you you give yourself away now yourself is always going to be off in the distance saying what about me what about me meanwhile your brain you're trying to convince your brain that you're somebody else eventually there's going to be a big clash between the real you and the you that you've created. And that's where mental health and suicide and depression and substance abuse, uh, which it's, it's crazy in the world that we're living in with so much stuff that people have in time and money and wealth that there's so much depression and mental health. Like, it, and it's really because everybody's chasing somebody else's dream. People forgot how to, how to go after their own dream. Your own dream doesn't even have to be chased. It's, it's, for most people, it's right in front of you. You've got everything that you want and need. Now it's just a matter of, you know, what's going to make me a bit more comfortable? So 
put the greed aside, stop trying to be everybody else and do what is right for you. You know what's right for you. You're the only one that, know what, that knows what's right for you. Nobody else, no psychologist or therapist is going to be able to tell you this is the way that it's going to fix you. You're the only one. It's funny. <clears throat> I was having a conversation with uh, my two, or my one roommate and friend from university about this exact thing, but we were talking about it through social media because I, I was trying to send my buddy a funny post or whatever on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, where'd you go kind of thing? And he's like, oh, yeah, I just you know, needed, needed some time. So I, I, uh, I don't know if he deleted it or if he just froze it or whatever he did, but, and then we had this big Facebook chat <laughs> discussion. Uh, and, and that's the case. Cause a lot of the time with like, even for me, the, with the podcast, it's like, I would like to promote it. It's not, you know, I, I want it to, to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that means you have to be, you have to create the exposure, which means that, well, the podcast is me. So the exposure yep. is me and I already, I'm like we were discussing before, I hate being on camera and I hate being on, uh, being recorded on microphones and, and the reason I'm doing it, doing this podcast is exactly because of that. Cause if, it just, if, if I looked like you, I'd hate it too. You know what? And, and if I looked like you, I would understand it too. So it's, it's mutual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fun, right? But I mean, my, and my attitude, I'm trying to just force it down my throat too, in that sense where it's, you're afraid of something good. Let's see it every day, all the time. Let's, let's just go right at it. Don't, don't run away from it. And, and the problem with social media is that a lot of the things that you want to run away from, you, you can't really, cause it's just constantly in your face all the time. And even if it's just the stupid stuff of looking which is all phony anyway because you're looking at someone who uh you know they're on vacation here they're on vacation there it's like okay what do you think they're doing today though they're just at home in their underwear doing whatever eating cheetos they're no different than the rest of us for the most part my my wife quite quite uh often will say oh look at so-and-so's life and look at so-and-so's life on on instagram oh this this beautiful picture this this (laughs) i said well yeah take a look at every picture yeah i said that to me tells me that that person is really unhappy and really sad because they're trying to tell the world how happy they are and there's never anything that's normal and I, i just said normal but but there's never anything that's like average no, it's, that it person's has to be post. exceptional. It's always extravagant. It's always over the top. It's always uh, eating the finest food at the finest restaurant in the finest city in the finest way. Even though it was a picture from five years ago, they're posting it today because maybe today they're sitting there in their pajamas with a knife at their wrist uh, thinking that, uh, you know what, my life is shit. And, but if I get 15 likes today, I'll, I'll stay alive for another day. It's absolutely stupid, and it's really what it's what social media has become is it's 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 a breeding ground for narcissists. Oh, hundred so, percent. And I'm on <laughs> and I'm on social media, so don't get me wrong, but you'd be pretty hard pressed to find too many pictures of of me or my wife on social media. I, do, I very very few. I post the odd one of of my kids um, for family and and friends, but not very often. Most of the time, it's pictures I take of birds. <laughs> It, it really, really is. I'm like, oh, there's a bald eagle. Take a picture. Boom. Post it on social media. There you go. Um, and, and my my work uh, and my, my Facebook uh, really is just an extension of, 
of advertising for work. So I do post some stuff there and I get into discussions about political rants and things like that. And, and I'm really good at pissing people off on, on Facebook. You troll you. Well, I'm not really trolling. I'm <laughs> you not, just finish it. I'm not really. You just finish it. Not really. I'm just basically having my mental diarrhea. Um, <laughs> and, and there you go. That's what, what, what I'm thinking right now. And then, of course, some people will decide to chime in or, or, or not. And I could care less if they do or not. But ultimately, it's really just for me to promote business. If, if it wasn't for, for the fact that some of our suppliers uh, really heavily require us to be on social media, I would have removed myself from it a long time ago. Interesting. It's, it's, it's you give up your life. For a virtual one. For a virtual life. It's, it's mental. I mean, and this isn't me coming down to my wife, but I like to bug her. I like to bug her once in a while where she'll be checking out some pictures and things on social media. And she's just finished maybe uh, uh, yelling at our two-year-old because he maybe just put her makeup in the toilet, which he rightfully deserves to be yelled at. <laughs> but then she'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, look at so-and-so's son and blah, blah, blah. They're outside in the yard. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you put that fucking thing down and go in the yard with yours? Yeah. But it's not just her. It's me, too. It's everybody. I'm using that as an example of what everybody's like. People are, they got their own kids playing, screaming for attention in front of them. And meanwhile, they're scrolling through their, trying to see if they can keep up with everybody else. Like, who cares what everybody, who cares what they're wearing? Who cares what they're doing? Uh, it's irrelevant to your life. Irrelevant. And, and to the point where when people say to me, oh, how's so-and-so doing? Or, or what do you think of so-and-so's this and that? I always say, it's got nothing to do with me. Why don't you call them and ask them? Because now you're asking me to get involved in, in, in this fake because anything we discuss is it's not real you're asking me what i think about somebody else about what somebody else is thinking just ask them because what i think they're thinking it isn't what they're thinking no of course what what you're thinking is you're using your own thoughts to come up with this it's just, it, it's just well, what you're thinking it's not what they're thinking well and it's basically the original social media it's gossip yeah. Right. It's just all, all that it is. It's make up something, spread it around. It becomes the truth. Someone might be hurt or someone might become very popular because of it, but it's gossip. And that's what social media is for a lot of it is gossip. Take a look at what's happening with all the conspiracy things going around, uh, around uh, whatever's happening in the world today. It's, it's crazy. Well, and it gives people a, a voice to, uh, and I'm a, a staunch freedom of speech. Uh, I I never Me shut too. up about it, and even at law school, it really bugs people because uh, <laughs> I'm very and I'm have a very strong opinionated stance on it. But ultimately, uh, free speech is any speech is should be allowed. Uh, but on the flip side, it's a dichotomy like anything. And uh, with social media, a lot of people who really shouldn't have a voice have a voice. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just just to be blunt, because uh, I mean, I really do think that uh, just a lot of people who really shouldn't. And I'm including myself in that, too. And so I don't really other than the podcast, I don't really throw it's, opinions out there. It's a soapbox. But that's it's, what it is. You yeah. Know? You know, and it, where is it in, in London? Is it that where you get on the soapboxes and you can 
preach whatever you want on that's all Saturdays of England, really. or whatever. That's, that's where? <laughs> that's all of England, really. Yeah, that's all that's of kind of their thing. Yeah. But but it's that's what Facebook and, and, and a lot of social media has become. It's it's it used to be about keeping connected with people. Yeah. When it first started. And it was fun. And it was, oh wow, I haven't seen so and so since grade seven. My God, they're on here. Hey, fantastic. I'll connect with them. And then it's about, oh, well, that guy I haven't seen since grade seven, you're an asshole because you disagree with me on something. And here's 250 experts that I've sourced to prove that you're wrong. And I don't care about your 250 experts who say I'm wrong. I'm the one that's right. And it's driving wedges. But I I, I agree. I think freedom of speech is important. But social media isn't speech. No. It's not speech. And even the the voices that they throw out there it's not even like it's not even real that's the thing it's like you're talking about something that's either you you don't honestly believe you're just doing it to spark something or you're you're compromising yourself in order to get likes or retweets or whatever it is yep you know yeah yeah. i mean you're pushing the boundaries because you're you're sitting on your couch and if, you can. If, if you're sitting at, if you're sitting in a pub saying something like that and there's a chance that you're going to get your face punched you're probably not going to open your mouth you'll think twice about it and, and and freedom of speech i think should be about speech um I, I got no problem with people spreading whatever they want on the internet as well the internet is a free-for-all um but it's up to everybody who decides if they want to read it or not so this way facebook when i see stuff that rubs me a little bit wrong i usually just scroll just past keep going it. Yeah. just ignore it if if you comment on people's things like that's what they want that's all that they want. So if you ignore it, it'll go away. It's like, it's like kinda, politics. Kinda, it's like, <laughs> no, it's unfortunately, you know, but it's like the high school bully. Yeah. You know, for the most part, if, if you just ignore it, for the most part, it'll go away. Sometimes it doesn't. You got to pop them in the nose with some reality and there you go. Now they're going to shut up. But I've always operated my life like that. I look at my brain like a revolver. Every time somebody says something to me, I, I've got a long fuse. You could say and do whatever you want. Throw as much insults as you want at me. But when I collect information on you, that's a bullet that I'm loading into, into my revolver. And when I need to unload that revolver, it's all coming at you. And it's all going to be factual. I'm, go- I'm going to have done my homework on it all. And so while everything that you're spewing at me is fake or innuendo or gossip or rumor, I know that when I hit you, it's going to be to bleed. So, but that's how... I operate and everybody operates differently. So yeah, I don't, even, I don't even know where I was going with that. No, that's fair. I, and I operate like that too. If, if I'm going to shoot, I'm shooting to kill. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not shooting. I, I'm not firing off rounds willy nilly. You, you keep it till it's okay. Cause you know, you can't fight all the time either. You know, picking fights and arguments with people, whether on the internet or customers or just in life, that's not really, you're probably going to have some problems if you're doing that. Yeah. But there is a time and a place where okay, well, it's it's go time, and if you if you want to go, we'll finish it. You know, I'll yeah. finish it for you. So careful where you want to go, right? Yeah. And on the flip side, if you know you're wrong, be be a man enough to yeah to apologize. Put the ego aside. Yeah, put it's the just ego, ego aside. Hey, listen, yeah, I was wrong. It's not the first time or the last time. You know, thank you for pointing it out. Thank you for sorry it offended you. I'm sorry that that what I did or said hurt you wasn't intended. Or maybe it was intended. Here's why. Put it to bed and move on. You can, you can end up 
at least having respect for somebody who you disagreed with and never talked to them again, rather than just have that just burning at you for, for decades because you just, mm, you just, your ego was too big to, to deal with it. And you kill, you can kill your life because, because you had a grudge with somebody over the color of a car or whatever it is, is something stupid, right? And you you said something that was really interesting with the with the fuse. You got a long fuse. Yeah. Is that something that you had to work on, or did you inherently are are you pretty patient because you're Italian? So, yeah. I mean, my dad is the Portuguese. He's very calm. I don't have that. I got the mum. I got mum's <laughs> Italian blood running. Through. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because I know for me it's something I've really had to to work on, and it's it's, it's been good so far. Well, good it's, for you. I've, I've, I think that's something that I had to work on. I was, you know, I've got an older brother, one year older, and he was born basically six foot two football player. <laughs> like he really, really was. And, and, and so he was like the bully. We call him big brother Chet because uh, from uh, weird science where, where the, the, the bully brother shows up. Uh, and then I have a younger brother who's two years younger and my sister is 10 years younger. So but with me and my brothers yeah, very close in age we're very close and i was in the middle which obviously i'm you know the, the, best. the black sheep yeah yeah the best <laughs> absolutely <laughs> without a doubt but the black sheep of the family so kind of stood out a little bit now that i have kids of my own i get why you know different personalities are attributed to different positions um but my older brother was bigger uh, i was a little bit chubbier and i was always quite short and so I always felt like they used to pick on me a lot. Now, I'm sure they felt that <laughs> the other two picked on them as That's well. Right, yeah. But but I, I was probably a lot more sensitive to this type of thing. I think I'm a lot more emotionally sensitive than my brothers are. Um, and for me, that's a good thing. I mean, some people might say it's a bad thing, but it, it, it made me who I am today. So I think it's a good thing because I like who I am. But um, because... As you said, I am Italian. I got a short, possibly have a short fuse. I did absolutely predisposed to having a short fuse. I know absolutely one hundred percent, one hundred percent do uh, naturally. I've had to learn how to lengthen it because if my older brother would beat on me, it wasn't beneficial for me to go back at him because I just get beat on again. Right. And my brothers and I sent each other to the hospital and we would, you know, like, it's just, the, I thought that was how, how brothers grew up. Uh, apparently, no, we were like wolves. So we're maybe like a little a pack, rough. Yeah. Maybe we're, a little rough. A pack of wolves. <laughs> um, and so of course, growing up and, and up into high school, I was quite short and a little bit chubby and up until grade 10, 11, then I shot up and grew. So even in my mind today, I'm, I'm this short, chubby kid because Funny. I was picked on uh, by my brothers and, and 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 because of my brothers by maybe some of their friends particularly my older brother's friends and I don't hold any ill will to work to them about it now I mean it, it hurt at the time and if I think on it oh yeah it still hurts and I'm just very sensitive when I see kids picking on other kids for whatever reason um, more so than probably my brothers would be but I believe that because of that, and I tell, I tell my nephew and my nieces, I say, this is because of the bullies. And in my case, I, my older brother, I call a bully. He wasn't really a bully. He was a brother. Um, but because of the 
bullies, you can learn to develop your other instincts. So I tell uh, my older brother all the time, I say, it's a good thing that you were big and strong uh, because it forced me to become a lot fucking smarter than you because you're dumb as a doorknob. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Which he's not, but I'm a lot quicker. So I have to think a lot quicker and I had to use my brains a lot more than he did younger. And I had to be a lot more creative if I was going to get back at him for something Um, because I couldn't go at him physically. And my younger brother just decided to, you know, scissors and he'd stab at my brother. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jeez. I told you we were wolves. Yeah. He's got a ballistic knife and. <laughs> but, but, um. Ninja stars. Oh, no, no, we did. My older brother used to throw Molotov cocktails at oh, us. Oh, my God. He, he used to shoot at us with his pellet gun and. <laughs> was, I'll take a pellet gun over a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> like, oh, God. But it was, uh. That's awesome. I, to us, it was actually fun we'd go out there and play war but he would actually bring those bombs <laughs> so like, okay. I guess, okay send in the chopper he's got right? it he's got a glass jar full of nails and <laughs> so for my older brother i had to be creative and what i would do is so you know when he wasn't around i'd maybe clean the toilet with his toothbrush and put it back and he wouldn't know but i got satisfaction knowing that he's brushing his teeth with toilet water so you have to think and use your head <laughs> oh, I'm dying. Oh, that's hilarious. That's uh, oh, the reason I'm dying is that that sounds like a, a Jordan thing to do. So my point is that oh, because of that, <laughs> I've learned how to grow a really long fuse because you have to be patient to clean your brother's to clean the toilet with your brother's toothbrush and reap the benefits of it because you got to be patient enough to do it when he's not around and to wait for him to use it and then not say anything. I told him about it about five, 10 years ago. He's, he just about flipped. I go, no, you're healthy. fine now. Yeah. yeah you're healthy. You, like you this is, nothing about? happened. In fact, you won. Okay. And my goal was to have you get sick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to give you E. Coli. I mean, you know, whatever. Right. So, so yeah, so you're going, uh, so your older brother favored uh, physical warfare and you're going biological. You know? mental. mental. I, I like it. I, I went more mental. Mental. I mean, I did do some of the biological stuff, but it was <laughs> it was more mental warfare. There's no question. That's awesome. I love it. And try to... Yeah, this podcast does not condone putting people's toothbrushes in toilets. Nah, it, kinda does. it wasn't a Let's dirty toilet. It wasn't a dirty toilet. Oh, well, you gotta toilet. step your game up then. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've got relatives who step their game up from that, trust me, and I ain't going into it. That's great. So trying to yeah, we'll bring it back a little bit. Long fuse yes. with customers. Have you ever found that to be a problem? Because I know at our parents' bakery, um, they can't let me in the front of the store. Because I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to deal with, uh, I'm, I'm too much of a smart ass <laughs> to deal with people. I've told, I think in 22 years, maybe five customers off. Well, that's pretty good then. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and I would say that three of those customers became very good friends of mine afterwards. Oh, well, that's pretty, that's actually really good. Because for go. me to tell somebody off, they 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 were really off base. Right. And afterwards, maybe they've realized and called to apologize or discuss or whatever. And uh, one in particular, 
uh, who's a very, very good friend of mine, this old Italian man. He was rude to uh, one of our sales <laughs> associates. He was grumpy, aggressive, and, uh, and I came from the back of the store, and I said, I, you can't be talking to my sales associate like that. And he's yelling at me now. He wants to buy this watch. And he's 75 years old now, so he would have been about 60 when this happened. And uh, maybe a bit older. Anyway, so he's considerably older than me. And I listened to him yelling. And he's this big guy. He's probably about six feet tall. And big, big, big. And loud. And I just, I, I finally just stopped listening. I said, you know, you have to leave. I said, we don't have to put up with this in here. Like if, he goes, but I want to buy that watch. I said, you're not going to buy it. I'm not selling it to you. So he's, no, no, I want to buy that watch. I said, no, you're not going to buy it. So I escorted him out the door and he left. And then about 10 minutes later, I got a call from my brother, my younger brother, who was doing a lot of land development in San Diego. And he says to me, oh, did so-and-so come by? And I said, who's so-and-so? He says, oh, you can't miss him, big, loud Italian guy. Oh, no. I said, oh, is that the asshole that I just kicked out of the shop? Yeah. And he started laughing. He said, probably. I said, well, he's a jerk. I said, so you know. He goes, well, I told him he's not getting another contract in San Diego until he buys a watch from you. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> I said, well, no wonder he's angry. So I called him up and I said, listen, here's what I just spoke to Ryan. I just found out. I said, you don't have to buy the watch from me. It's not going to affect your contracts with them down in San Diego. You do whatever you want. But if you want to buy the watch... I'm happy to help you, but you come in with respect. And so he came in and he said, we chatted for a bit. And he says, I like you. He says, we're going to go for, uh, for lunch. So we went for lunch at one o'clock and I got home from lunch about three in the morning. So, <laughs> yeah, and and a, from awesome. that, it was a, a lifelong friendship. To this day, I speak to maybe uh, two, three times a week. A really, really nice guy. But going back to the the, the uh, uh, personalities that we that we present he's a really 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 naturally soft guy and so he lets people in very easily into his life and I can understand now dad's so, phone's going off ruining the podcast where you go, dad I thought it was on silent so sorry no no Keep that's going. okay so anyways, he, um, he lets people into his life very, very easily. And when people do go into his life, sometimes they take advantage of him. So I can understand why he puts up this big strong man front is because he really, really thinks that if he shows his soft side, he's going to get taken advantage of. So I understand a lot of it now with him, especially in particular knowing that my brother gave him an ultimatum uh, yeah yeah <laughs> says got him all wind, uh, wound up to, yeah. to come in and bug you so. but i think that's a good lesson though because you were well like how you said you know you were you listened and then you after a while you just went no okay you gotta go that's it yeah and and it turned out well when you're honest with people and and that's a pretty good reaction where you know he takes you out to lunch and then you have a friendship after because yeah. he goes oh yeah shit i was being I well, wasn't being very and good. And the thing is, he was he wanted to buy a $50,000 watch. So it's not like it would have been chump change. And yeah. for, I, for me to tell him, I'm not selling you that, I think he's like, well, 
He respected that. Well, a lot of people would say, well, if they're spending $300 in your shop, I'm the customer, I'm always right, and you blah, 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 and I'm making you. Um, and I let him know even for the $50,000, no, you're not making, I don't need to make that sale to you. Like, I already own the watch. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not like I need that money to pay for it. I already own it. So I'll sit on it for 10 years if I have to, if, if it's only jerks that want it. I, I want it to go to a right person. Well, and if it was a million-dollar watch, would it have made a difference? Uh, to me? Yeah. I would never buy a million-dollar watch for inventory. Oh, no, I mean, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it just, oh, oh, because it's not no, about no, no. that. It's about no, the principle. No. Oh, you mean, it, no, 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 it, w- it wouldn't have made a difference. Mm-hmm. I, it, if, if somebody's coming in and treating me like uh, I'm beneath them, especially when I'm treating them, I think, very, very well, um, I, I, I won't deal with them. I, you know, maybe maybe some of my sales associates would, because yeah. they, you know, but fair enough. <laughs> well, but that's because I think that they're used to potentially being treated poorly in situations where they have to make sales. And I tell them all the time. I say, don't let anybody talk down to you guys. It's it's not worth it. I, and I know that that you know part of their income is reliant on their sales, but at the end of the day, you have to have your pride too. And and. And if you're going to go at over the top for an awful customer, then they're going to refer more awful customers to you. Yeah, that's a good point, if too. You go, <laughs> if you put in half the energy to a good client that you do to a bad client, because bad clients drain all your energy. Of course. If you put half that energy into a good client, you're going to get more good clients. Because good people know good people. Bad people know bad people. And so... If all you're doing is focusing on converting these bad people into customers, you're going to have no time for good clients. And so I've, and and every client can be a good client, but some people just believe that they're always right, especially when it comes to money. Yeah. I'm really happy you said that. You're one of the few people who will actually say that, that uh, good people know good people and bad people know bad ones. Yeah, for the most part. It's pretty accurate. Of you course know? it is. It's pretty accurate. But it's funny. A lot of, it's say for whatever reason, that's, I don't know if it's uncomfortable for people. I don't know what, what it is about that that bothers people. But I think sensible people seem to understand that. Well, and, it, and it's not even that it's good people versus bad people. It's like people. Yeah. And I shouldn't say bad. I'm, I'm talking about a bad client in, yeah. in the yeah. way that I look at a, at a a client as a bad client meaning difficult they they try to chip away at your your margin and then they want throw-ins and then they want gifts and then they want all kinds of things and then they want all things are free so so they they really don't want you to make money uh, and it's a business you have to make money you have to pay your overhead you're, you're providing a service you're doing all kinds of things and and there's not a lot in retail in general there's not a lot of money everybody thinks well you sell this product you must be extremely wealthy well not because if if i'm wealthy it's not because of this i do well with it absolutely but i do well with it based on what the margins are um 
Well, you'd be doing really well if that $10,000 watch costs $0 for you to buy. Well, that's what people think. That, you know what I mean? It's like, it costs money. What do you think? We just get this stuff? It costs money. You're going to buy this stuff. But that's what people think. Yeah, people, people think that, uh, that oh, I'm paying $15,000. That's $15,000 in your pocket. Well, no, it's it's actually, it's not. It, it really, really isn't. And, and and people, some people just can't wrap their heads around that. So as an, an example of what I would say, a bad customer, but a really good person. One of my uncles, <laughs> like, and I, and I loved him to death. But he used to, he used, he came in and negotiated with me for eight years on a watch, and I'm like, well, he's family. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. <laughs> That's awesome. Eight years. We actually we actually rebranded the business in the meantime and moved locations. Oh my goodness. He he negotiated with me for eight years on on a watch, and um, his family. So we gave him, you know family pricing, which is really making nothing and this is about 15 well about 20 years ago um maybe about 15 to 20 years ago anyways he um came into my store the new store and after so many years he says oh that watch he says you know i can buy it in hawaii for cheaper I said, okay. That's an Italian line, I think. I feel like that's an It's an th- every culture line. Is it? Every, every, like, yeah, oh. I've been doing this in long enough there to say go. it's every culture. <laughs> so he says to me, well, I could buy it in Maui for cheaper. I said, okay, so here's the bottom line. You're going to, you want me to compete with an exchange rate that's not in my favor. I said, uh, with an economy, because Maui, uh, Hawaii at that time wasn't doing very well, with an economy that's really, really desperate and probably willing to sell it for below cost. I said, plus you're probably going to smuggle it in, so an Ill- you want me to compete with an illegal activity. I said, you want me to compete with all this stuff that is out of my control. I said, I can only do what's within my control. I said, if you would have bought that watch 10 years ago, you would have saved 10, th- or eight years ago when you first looked at it, you would have saved $10,000 because my profit on it hasn't changed. As I'm making maybe a couple hundred bucks on it. That has not changed, but the price has gone up that much. So I literally, I went in my pocket, I pulled out a $100 bill. I said, I'm going to give you the best deal that you're <laughs> going to get. I said, I'll give you this $100 if you promise to never come into my fucking shop and talk about that fucking watch again. He took it. No, he, oh, took, he, he bought the watch. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> and that's when I realized it wasn't about him getting a better price. It was about making sure nobody else got a better price. And that's where I learned. That's actually the first time that I really learned about negotiating with cultures, because you can hold firm if your pricing is legitimate and realistic. You should never be apologetic for making a profit. I never, ever, ever ask friends of mine to give me discounts or deals on things. If they want to offer it to me, that's fantastic. But I'm coming to you because I want to give you the money. That's right. I want yeah. to help you and your family and your business. And likewise, I know that you will eventually come back to me as well, hopefully. And we can create our own little economy. It's kind of the way it's supposed to work. Um, So I realized at that point that, oh my God, you know, if I held firm with him at retail price and told him that nobody else is getting better, he probably would have paid it at the retail price. Now, obviously he's family. I'm happy to give it to him at the pricing that I did, but... uh, but it just made me realize that it, it, different cultures are, operate very, very differently. But negotiation is the same in every culture. It's not about how much I can save. It's, a, it's about 
is somebody else getting better than me? Because then I feel like I'm getting screwed. That's really interesting. I like that. I'm gonna have to think about that. That's really interesting. Well, you're right. I think you're right, though. I mean, it seems to make sense. Absolutely, it is. Listen, if somebody came into the bakery and said, "I want a dozen buns," and you said, "Well, you know what? F- for you, we're gonna do it at ten ten dollars, whatever the price is, five dollars," and the next person comes in and says, "I want a dozen buns," you're like, "Well, oh yeah, you know what? This person always gets a deal. You get it for four dollars." The person who just bought. It's going to say, hang on, I, I just was taken for a ride. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, the person who got it for cheaper is going to go t- tell everybody, go tell them you're a friend of mine. They're going to give it to you for four bucks. So now, and then when they give it for four bucks, they're going to ask for another 50 cents off. Oh, of course. Because I got to do better than my friend. If they're willing to move the dollar, they're going to be able to move another 50 cents. And it, eventually it gets to the point where you make nothing. And you're just open in business just to give the stuff away to cover your costs. And it's it's pointless. Well, and if you give an inch, people will take a mile. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's just kind of human nature. Of course it's human nature. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, if I could stretch my dollar further, why not? I got, I got no problem with that. But I also think that stretching my dollar further makes more sense when I put it in the pocket of my friend. Yeah, of course. Or somebody that I like mm-hmm. than me stretching it myself. Because I, I look at it the same as tipping. If I go to my, my wife is is Taiwanese, so culturally they don't really like to tip, and they're and, and can be considered very very cheap. They're not cheap, but they can be considered that. But the reason they don't tip is because oh, because they're gonna the, that person's gonna take advantage of you. Now maybe in Taiwan, if you show that you've got too much money, they overcharge you for stuff. Right. But in Canada, it doesn't operate the same. At least in yeah. <laughs> in legitimate businesses, yeah, exactly. right? So if we go to a restaurant, she would say, oh, don't tip so much. And I looked at her and I said, okay, you don't want me to tip the extra 5% or whatever it is. Because I'm a notoriously really good tipper. I liked, I worked in the service industry in, in, as a busboy and, and as a server. I, I know what it's like. I said, so you don't want me to tip the extra 5%, which you realize is $2.00. <laughs> I said, it's, we're, we're yeah. talking, now you're looking at it as 5%. I'm looking at it as $2. Right. Now, $2 is $2. However, that $2 for them right. will go a lot further because maybe they've got kids to feed. Maybe they've got bills to pay that mean a lot. That $2 means a lot more than it does to us. If we can afford to go and eat out, we can afford the extra $2. We just paid $4 for parking. <laughs> you know yeah, what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I like that. And it's funny because in the in the UK, it's similar where they don't, um, they just don't tip. It's just not, but they make better There's, wages. Their wages are better. So there's so a lot of cultures that don't because mm-hmm. it's already built in. In some cultures, it's actually an insult to tip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in our culture, we know. It's necessary. Like it's, in Canada and the States, it's Absolute. Absolute. That's where they make you their money is off of the tips. You can't live off off of the money you're making. No. For the hours that you're working, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to to not tip number one or to to be a, tip a poor low. tipper. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I know. I because even in the UK, like I I very generous tipping as well. I've never worked in the service industry, but I've I've had people who friends of mine who have, and I don't know. I just think it's also just nice to just to. You know, give especially well, and if they're good, then definitely. Yeah. But even if they're not good, whatever. You know, they they're still out there trying to hustle like the rest of us, right? And so, even if they're not good, you know, like I said before about uh, about potential, you know, moody or bad customers, 
You don't know what kind of day that 100%. You don't know what day that Maybe they just found out that their mother's dying of cancer and yep. they have to come into work. And so they're a little bit off. Maybe you don't like it because it's rough and you're wrong. But really, did they do their job? Good. Yeah. Just because they didn't make you laugh or tell a joke or whatever doesn't mean that they don't deserve their tip. Mm-hmm. They're a little curt with you when, when they brought you your mojito, but who gives a shit? <laughs> come exactly. on. You know, at the end of the day, like, you know. Exactly. A friend of mine years ago went traveling to Africa and um, talking about perspective. Mm. He traveled to Africa and he was, he was uh, uh, volunteering in an orphanage uh, there. And, and in this orphanage, kids were dying daily of AIDS. Daily. And, and rough. So he was there, there and he says, Jay, he goes, my God, it was, it was so sad at first. You're sitting there, you're watching these kids, you're getting to know these kids. And every day, kids that you were helping are dead. And he says, the really scary thing is that after about a month, it becomes usual that these kids are just going to die. You're going to build a relationship and they're going to die. And it's just usual. He said, but the real eye opener was that I had to fly home through Dubai. And he says, when I was in Dubai, I walked into this mall and there was a lady yelling at the sales clerk because her $10,000 handbag wasn't in the store yet. Sounds about right. (laughs) And he says, for $10,000, you probably could have given all the medication to all those kids in that orphanage to keep them alive. And this lady was so upset about her purse. So perspective is, is absolutely everything. And when you've never stepped your foot out of that lifestyle or that life, and you've never had a hardship, it, I know people who go into restaurants and notoriously will send the bottle of wine back even before they've tasted it. Oh, my God. I, uh. Or they'll, they'll always find a dish to complain about. I'm like, my God, I will eat whatever somebody, even if it's not what I ordered, I will I eat it. I am the exact same. And, I, and they'll say, oh, it's not what you, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm totally okay. I'm eating. It's totally all right. You're busy. Don't worry about it. I'm unco- I'm uncomfortable. Like you said that. And it's like, cause I'm like, oh God, like when oh, I've, yeah. I've had that one time, only one time where I was out with people and they, the, the one girl sent sent it back and it was a bit of a bullshit reason so it wasn't even like you know some something deserving but i'm like you even if it's dessert if it's the wrong i've done that i've got the wrong thing i'm eating it me too and i'm like no don't say anything just because then i get uncomfortable it's like no no no, just don't like i don't want to be that guy yeah you know just don't but it's oh yeah sending sending food back or just the fact it's so awkward and it's Oh, it's just so uncomfortable. And for some people, it's just a matter of letting... It's, it's, it's almost like they're trying to remind them, like, I'm better than you. Yeah, there's that attitude. It's not, it's not as simple as just the act. It's the, it's the intention behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, anyways, yeah, there's a lot of people that I don't go out for dinners with anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't go for dinners much anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you're okay. Got a good excuse. Well, you brought up something really interesting. We kind of moved away from it, but I want to bring back to that. Cultural differences. I will say in general, dealing with every culture is is identical as long as you have a little bit of an understanding of their culture. Okay, that's mm. interesting. You know, we always... I, I look at it when I travel, and when, particularly in Europe when I used to travel when I was younger, and people are like, oh, you're Canadian. Oh, fantastic. Come in. Come, oh, thank 
God, we That's thought right. you were something else. Yep. You know, we thought you were American. And they hate Americans. They really do. Um, well, for, for a myriad of reasons. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Some of them are justified. Some of them are not justified, in, in my opinion. But they love Canadians, and they'll go overboard for Canadians. And it is, likewise, if you go different places in Europe, they hate Germans. Yeah. They just yeah. absolutely hate Germans. Um, and I, I always figure, well, okay, when an American travels... Typically, when I've seen Americans traveling, like I'd say in France or whatever, they'll be at a restaurant, they'll order hamburger and French fries, and they'll say, well, it's not the same as home. Oh, my God. I'm paying how much for this? And oh, Jesus, you don't have ketchup or you don't have Heinz or you don't have... Well, you know, you you're, well, you know, you're you're not in Alabama, yeah, right? Or yeah. or you're not in California. You're not in whatever. You're in France, or you're in Italy, or you're in whatever. So you're not going to get your hot dog. Uh, you're going to probably get a sausage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the original hot dog, by the way. <laughs> and so you're you're so you have to. When I travel, I always go and I always try to learn at least a few words of the culture where I'm going. Uh, hello, thank you, goodbye. Uh, and I, I try to pick up as I'm there. So if I'm in France, I will try to order in French. And obviously my French is not great, but I can get by. Or in Spain, Spanish. And always they will kick into English and say, oh, don't worry, I speak English. Oh, but when somebody who they don't like, who is rude, who figures that, French is loud, louder English equals French. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or louder English <laughs> equals so Portuguese. Um, they pretend they don't speak English at all. Yeah. At all, because they're just like, no, no, you're arrogant and I don't want to deal with you. So when people from different cultures come into our store, I always treat it as if I've entered their culture. I try to approach them with the same respect that I've gone into their culture. I don't anticipate that that everybody's going to, I'm in the service industry though. So I don't anticipate they're going to come into my shop and adapt to the way we operate, particularly if they're, they're tourists and many cultures have that arrogance about them when they come in and they'll throw their weight around. And, and even in some cultures, people with money will walk into a store and if they don't like the service they're getting from a salesperson, they'll slap them and the managers will allow it because, oh, because, well, that person's got money. We got to let them do what they want. Wow. So I try to treat people the way that I would act if I was traveling to their country. If I don't understand, I'll get somebody who does speak the language or understands the culture a little bit more. But maybe just approach it a little bit more humbly rather than a little bit more aggressive. Um, it gets you a lot farther. And, and, and they appreciate a lot more too. But I, I think for the most part, most cultures all operate the same. They all operate the same. There's the... There's the negotiators and there's, and there's the uh, I, Indian people will come in and say, oh, you're Thai. Well, it's just like Indian. I'm like, it, it actually is. You know, my wife is Taiwanese. Like, it's, it's really just like Italian. It really, we eat the same foods. We just cook it a little bit differently. But that's every <laughs> yeah. culture. Yeah. It's every culture. So we're all the same. Maybe you believe in a, a, a different God than I grew up with, but they teach the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, we're all family oriented cultures for the most part. So yeah, they're all the same. We're, we're, we're all, the same. I have no issues with, 
with any cultures. I will say that there is one culture, but I won't say which culture, that is particularly difficult to deal with because they tend to be extremely insular and they prefer to only deal within their culture. And I think it's, uh, I think there's a, a big distrust with people outside of the culture, religiously and culture, culturally, which is fine. I mean, I'm like, eh, there's lots yeah. of business for everybody and, and, and we're not the shop for everybody. If we do get some of that business, fantastic. If we don't, uh, so be it as well. I don't, I don't begrudge anybody for wanting to do business with me or not. Well, but even that is like, even at the bakery, the, the Portuguese, some of the Portuguese will customers really like dealing with a couple of the Portuguese employees that we have. Yeah, yeah of course. It's just, it's just that same language. Yeah. It's that, it's that comfort too. Yeah. And, and then if there's, e- even the, if they're speaking English, they speak the same language. That's right. They get each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the key, well, I, I guess that's whether you're dealing with customers in the shop or just in general, just kind of being a little bit more humble at, at, at first will get you further than getting well, you a should, bit defensive. If you're in retail, you should be humble that somebody took the time to walk into your shop anyways. You should be humbled and grateful that somebody came in and even considered to browse and potentially eventually buy something from your shop because there's a lot of options, there's, especially when you're in luxury retail. Somebody could look at a boat or another vacation home or whatever. They, they have lots of options. They don't have to walk into our shop and, and think about buying a piece of jewelry or a watch. That's an excellent attitude. I think it's good. I kind of got to be better at that. I know for me, that's not really my forte. You're still young. You got I guess time. it's just the attitude. I got to I got to I gotta, uh, sand down the, the chip on the shoulder, I guess, right? <laughs> it's okay to have the chip on the shoulder too. Sometimes just... Uh, just Put a bigger Time and jacket. A place. Yeah, Put a bigger jacket. Place. Cover yeah. it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's no, that's fair enough. That's interesting. I like that. Well, how are we for time? What? Oh wow, quarter to three. That's why. Yeah. So I was thinking about that. So you brought lots of lovely items from the shop. A few pieces. A few pieces that are are privately owned that I was allowed to borrow to bring here. Yes. So if you like, let's run through a few. If you, right. got, if you got the time. Well, you, you can pick up and handle them, and I'll explain whatever you want. Let's do the pen. Let's start with the pen. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. just want to be sure we got it on the camera. For people listening, so this episode's going to be up um, from today's uh, Friday, so it'll be up the following Thursday. Okay. Um, but mm-hmm. the video isn't going to be up for a while. So like we were saying before, what we'll do for the people listening, we'll take photos and then we'll put it on the podcast page so that people who are listening can look at the stuff right away. And then when the video comes out, then sure. pe- people can look at the video. So tell us what we're looking at. So I'm a bit of a pen nut and this pen is actually mine. Uh, this is a Montegrappa pen. Now Montegrappa is a pen manufacturer from Italy, which has been around since the early 1900s. Uh, famously, Ernest Hemingway used to write with a Montegrappa pen. He was uh, in World War One, stationed in northern Italy uh, as a ambulance driver and a journalist. Uh, and so he discovered uh, the Montegrappa pens, which I think at the time was called Emo or some. I think it was Emo, but they rebranded to Montegrappa. Um, and so he's notoriously famous for writing with Montegrappa pens, among, amongst others. But Montegrappa was a pen that he really, really gravitated towards and chose. 
Anyways, Monte Grappa has been around since I think 19, early 1900s anyways. And um, they create small batch uh, uh, fine writing instruments. So I like fountain pens. I like the way they write. I, anything vintage E, even if it's modern vintage I like. So fountain pens, of course, is vintage and Absolutely. it's old school. Yeah, my kids will probably never know what the hell that is. Uh, just, it's like if they saw a rotary phone, they would they wouldn't know what to do with it. People my age don't even know what a fountain well, exa- pen is. Exactly. <laughs> so I have dipping pens and what have you, but I, I really like. But this one in particular is the Year of the Dragon. Uh, so it's a limited edition pen that's that's got a, a, a hand carved silver. Uh, uh, detail around it of a dragon with ruby eyes. Um, I just fell in love with it. I like the Asian culture of the dragons and uh, and the the Chinese zodiac. Um, so the year of the dog, they do make zodiac Chinese zodiac pens as well. But the the dragon is uh, to me mythical, beautiful, and everything it represents in the Chinese culture is f- phenomenal. It's all it's all like. Uh, very, very good fortune, good things. It's strong, it's strength. So I bought that for myself because I just love the look of it. I love the idea of the dragons. It feels great in your hand too. Like it's, it's got the, the weight on it. It's oh yeah. yeah, it's, it's it really not a pen. Well. Now here's the funny thing is that most of my pens that I collect like this, I never use, which I always intend to, but I don't. I've actually got, know, right? I've got a couple of, of good fountain pens that I do use and dipping pens. Um, but... These ones, I, I I always think to myself, it's got to be something really important. That's right. Yeah. For me to break out the dragon pen of and course. write something. Um, maybe my son's uh, uh, wedding, which I'll probably be dead when that happens. <laughs> but <laughs> well, he's two. My oldest is two. So yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so that's fair enough. Um, but anyway, so I'm I'm a collector. I love Montegrappa pens. Of course, they're not the only pen manufacturer on the planet. But I really gravitate towards them because it's from more or less the same region of Italy where my family's from. Oh, okay. Um, which is also where grappa comes from, which I have an affinity for grappa, the 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 alcohol. Yeah. So would that be nor- northern Italy then? Northern Italy, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful pen. Yeah, we'll we'll put pictures up so people can uh, figure out what the hell we're talking about right now. Yeah. So cool. I like this one. So uh, tell us about. The next item there. So this is a pendant that uh, I was charged with designing and creating for a woman who is uh, a bit of a free thinker and a bit of a free spirit, but also uh, just does not uh, doesn't listen very well <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and and breaks the rules whenever it's uh, appropriate for her, not in an illegal way, but uh, but just does. Um, it was, her name starts with the letter A and I thought it, I've always loved the anarchy symbol. I've, I grew up with the sex pistols and punk rock and I love the anarchy symbol. Uh, not necessarily the, the ideas behind it, but I love the symbol. Uh, the rebellious spirit. Exactly. The rebellious spirit. So I, I decided to create for her this, uh, or design for her, this pendant, which, uh, takes into account her initial, but also uh, a little bit of a twist on it, uh, uh, which shows more of her personality. So we did that in uh, 19 karat white gold and 18 karat rose gold. And the diamonds that are on there, we actually set upside down. So the points 
of the diamond are sticking out rather than the the table. The rose gold is really beautiful. Really goes well with it. Yeah. And what kind of chain is this? I've never seen a chain. That's, that's a, really interesting. That's a platinum neck wire. Platinum neck wire. Yeah, okay. that's a neck wire. Now we had this piece was on a rubber cord before, but the rubber silicone mm. cords have a only a short lifespan. They don't last forever because it's got oil. It's oil based, right. so when the oils dry out, it breaks. So this is uh, this is a platinum is the the next generation that was put on this pendant. Well, and it's nice too because it kind of brings. Um, Compared to the rubber, you get a little bit more of that feminine touch, but you keep the ruggedness. Yeah, it, it actually goes very, very well with that piece. But the rubber neck wire to me looked looked the best on that because it oh, really? was it was black. Oh, so it I was see. all black, and you just had this powerful pendant just yeah. just because it's quite there. big to the pendants. It's oh yeah, like, it's yeah like an inch by an inch. It's pretty big. And the uh, the the. You, you can't really, it's probably hard to tell from, from the camera, maybe the photos will show it up too, but with the diamonds being upside down, yeah. you, when you feel it, that's yeah. when you really notice it. But other than that, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really, I notice. don't have a trained eye like, like you would, yeah. so I probably wouldn't notice till you felt it. Yeah. But that's a really nice touch. I really like that one. That one's quite, quite lovely. And then we got this one you were telling us uh, before the podcast started. Yeah. So tell us about that. that one's a pretty cool one. So this is a watch manufacturer, which uh, is a small, uh, small Swiss manufacturer, H. Moser & Co. Uh, it's an old company, which was revitalized by the grandchildren of the original founders. Uh, still in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. They make about a thousand watches a year, give or take. This particular one is part of what they call their concept series. Uh, their concept series uh, doesn't have anything on the dial other than the hands. So it doesn't say their, their brand name. It doesn't say the hours or minute markers or anything. Uh, it doesn't say Swiss made on it. And there's a no, whole another story to that. But the, part of the concept series is about breaking it down to the bare basic simple um, as far as the dial goes. And that is a Vanta black dial, which is the blackest material uh, on the planet. Uh, basically, it's... You're not it, kidding either. That is... Oh, like, no. I'm looking at it up. I didn't see it when you were talking about it earlier, but looking at it now, it's like, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that really is. An, and, and it's got a crystal on top of it. So, unfortunately, you can't really get a true feel for how black that is. Um, but it really, really is black without that crystal on it. It's, it, it's a black hole. Um, but it's, it's a technology, not a paint. So the technology right. is it's a bunch of nanotubes that are stacked up and then you shave it really low. And what happens is the light goes in and it just absorbs the light and doesn't reflect any of it. So there is no reflection at all. I think it's like the least reflective material on the planet. That's beautiful watch. It Oof, is. And of I course like it's that. got diamonds on there too. This is a limited edition piece. Um, it's, and the it's, back is incredible. Yeah, with an open case back displaying the in-house movement. Uh, it's a manual wine movement. It's absolutely gorgeous. Everything made in-house. And I've done a factory tour with them. They're all fantastic, fantastic people. The happiest uh, 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 watch manufacturers I've seen, honestly. <laughs> like every, You go in there and they're, the ha they're really, really, the smaller a manufacturer gets, the happier the, the well, production funny. team is. Probably because more they intimate, have more, I guess, right? and more diversity in what they're doing. It's mm. less of a production line. Right, right. Okay, where one person sense. isn't turning this screw for the yeah. next five years. Now, 
how I don't know if you know off the top of your head roughly because you told me I, I don't know anything about watches other than the few conversations where you've taken me to school on it. How many moving pieces does would a watch like this have roughly? I don't know on this one in particular, but I generally will say to people the average mechanical watch will have about two hundred moving pieces. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a it's a lot of work to put a watch like this together and it's even more skill and work to get it together and run accurately because for sure there's a lot that can go wrong <laughs> hey listen i can put a car together too but you yeah. want it to run <laughs> that's right, right. Yeah, exactly <laughs> i i know i know how to do it visually yeah. but i wouldn't know how to do it to make it work and i'm not a diamonds guy for for myself but on this watch, I, I would wear this watch. Yeah. Like the diamonds don't, um, they don't make it look tacky. I, I agree. I'm not really a diamonds guy either. But with that Vanta black and those diamonds That's contrasting each other, mm -hmm. it's just boom. It really is something special. And black but, and but silver Moser, is always nice. But Moser, in my opinion, is notorious for doing some beautiful pieces with their, with their diamond uh, work that is more... E it's easier to wear. I, right. I, I would a little say more it's, versatile. Yeah. It's, it's easier to wear. It looks more like, uh, uh, it's more functional than it is fashion. Right. Even though it's a diamond even piece. Though it's, and even though it's a fashion piece. Yeah. 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 And what, oh yeah. So uh, introduce this piece. So this is a pair of uh, earrings with Tahitian pearls uh, that I was charged with designing. <clears throat> for a woman and she's an Asian woman and I was uh, trying to come up with ideas. I like, when I design, I like to make something that's personal for people. And I was trying to come up with, you know, her backstory and uh, you know, her, her birth story, her family story and trying to come up with ideas on, on, on what to create that was unique to her. That's usually the way I, I let my brain go when I'm trying to create something well, for it's, somebody. It's a good way to go. <laughs> and the more I looked at the picture of her and, and her, and I started just loosely sketching, I'm like, oh, you know what? I can create pearl earrings that look like her eyes. And so that's what I did. I mean, if we turn that on the side, the, these earrings are actually made to look like her eyes with the the lines coming up and it, as you pointed out earlier it's almost egyptian uh, uh looking her eyes are very much like that they're very very exotic at least the way i see them yeah you know who knows her husband might see them as see rage <laughs> artistic interpretation <laughs> right no these yeah. are beautiful i i sent these uh well you you posted them on your instagram today Yes, that's and, right. And uh, I saw it and I sent it to my girlfriend because I thought they were just, if, if I could afford to buy something like these, these would be nice to one day. But yeah, they're, they're incredibly beautiful and very, um, I don't really know how to describe it, but, but the actual like band, it's, it's really, I'm doing a horrible job describing this, but it's thick. Like no, no, it's, no, go ahead. it's got this, a bit this of exactly how every client explains to yeah, me what I guess they so, want. Right? I, I understand it oddly. Yeah, but it's, it's got real it's um, soft, but it's got punch to it as well. I, I, and that's the style that I like. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, we do handmade. So this is handmade 100%. So 
if you're going to do handmade, you want it to be very subtle design. You don't want to over design something um, because you want to show off the craftsmanship, not the details so much. A lot of times details are there just to mask craftsmanship or to mask poor quality craftsmanship. So I, I keep it simple, um, but you have a little detail there. So it shows as a very soft and, and elegant piece with the lines. Yeah. But the goldsmithing itself is very substantial. And, That's right. And it is, in my opinion, second to none. Those earrings are I'm very, very proud of. Yeah. I, I think they're that, beautiful. And they're like, they got power behind them. That's they, a, it's a beautiful piece. They do, Elegant. But they're but, also still a very soft looking yeah, earring. But, they, but they're extremely powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really and like I, them. I have a soft spot for pearls. I really, I really I like pearls. I think they're very, I think that's my birthstone. June is a pearl. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yep, June is. But, uh, it's very, uh, underused and I think a little bit underappreciated because it's always diamonds. Everyone think jewelry, diamonds, diamonds, yeah, yeah, diamonds. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but there's so many other, so many. Other. I actually love pearls. I love black. Pearls. Oh, and they're, and they're, yeah, black pearls are great, but they're natural. Yep. They're, they're, they're not, uh, well, all Either gemstones are, are natural, but, but they're, you're talking about biodegradable. Yeah, yeah. A pearl is biodegradable. It's the only biodegradable gemstone that I believe. Yeah, yeah. that was a beautiful piece. Really enjoy that. And uh, all right, so what do we got here? So this is a bracelet that um, I was asked to design, and um, it was a push present, which is a... a it's something that uh, apparently only really exists in North America. A lot of, a lot of <laughs> other cultures never heard of it, and I wish we never did too. But <laughs> from a business standpoint, I'm glad we did. Of course. But uh, the, the client who uh, was looking for a, a push present gift uh, wanted something unique. And, and I had birth, uh, just had my first child around the same time. And when our kid was born, I kept all the wristbands and, and all the tags and everything from the hospital. And I was thinking to myself, okay, you want to do something unique. Everybody does, oh, I'm going to do an initial with the birthstone. And, and that's great. You know, it's, it's fantastic. But this client wanted to do something really special and, and uh, wanted to do something a little bit more than the, you know, the maybe few hundred dollar pendant. So uh, he allowed me to be creative and Basically, I came up with the idea of a hospital bracelet. When they check you in, they wrap your wrist with all your ID and all that stuff. So this uh, bracelet we did, uh, instead of on the nameplate having engravings, we did it all diamonds. And then on the side where you lock the clasp on, that is the birth symbol of their child. Oh, nice. So the zodiac symbol. Right. Let's take a look at that. This is really interesting. I really like. And what's the uh, what's the band? What's the material? Uh, it's a uh, nineteen karat white gold. Okay, that's really interesting. And it's funny because as soon as you open the box to show us, it's the first that it's you can clearly tell it's made to resemble one of those hospital exactly. bracelets. So you you really hit the the nail on the head there. That's a cool one. All right. Oh yeah, there we go. So this is the. Is this we're gonna end on this one? Sure. Okay. So this uh, is a this is a good one. I like this one. Uh, so this one is uh, Parmigiani Fleurier, which is an, again another small manufacturer out of Fleurier, Switzerland. Uh, Michel Parmigiani is still alive, and uh, he's uh, 
an incredible genius when it comes to watchmaking. In fact, probably one of the best watchmakers uh, alive today. Uh, I won't give you the full backstory on him, but if you have the time, you should research it. He's, he, he started in restoration and all the big watch houses, the, the old vintage pieces that they had uh, that they couldn't, that didn't know how, what to do with, they, sent, they couldn't restore them. They sent them to him to restore them. Uh, so he built his name up in restoration, uh, eventually got funded to create his own watch manufacturer, and still to this day, a big chunk of his business and, and his manufacturer is restoration. So he still does restoration for a lot of the, the, the big vintage uh, manufacturers because they can't. So he's the only one who they trust with this stuff. Anyways, this, is, uh, this one I brought because uh, I, I really like the dual purpose of this piece and you won't know what it is until I actually show you. But this one is a, um, what they call a transformer. It's a chronograph, which is a stopwatch. So you see that it's got the, the center crown, which is for winding and setting the time. And then the buttons on the top and bottom are for starting and stopping the stopwatch. But traditionally speaking, most people use stopwatches when they're at a racetrack or yeah. of some sort, right? So this watch actually does come out of the case and it has a second case, which is a, attached to a chain. So it is a pocket watch as well. I didn't bring that other part in the chain with me, but I could show you how this pops out of there. Wow. So basically you've got these two buttons down here. Yep. Oh, geez. Just you lift flips that right up open. And. Breaks the watch. <laughs> And you pop that out, and now this is empty. So you would have a, a secondary case that has a shell like this and a pocket watch wow. chain. But um, then you just pop that in there, and now you can carry it around as a pocket watch. Wow, that's super cool. That's pretty cool. That is super and I cool. am a pocket watch geek. Oh, like there I, you go. That's actually where I, my, I first got my love of pocket watches, because my grandfather's watch, my mother's father's watch, I don't... I never met him, but my mom gave me his pocket watch. So right. I always imagine in my head him. He was a farmer in northern Italy. They were very, very poor. But on Sundays, he would get dressed up to go to church, wearing his three-piece suit, his fedora, polishing his shoes, mm -hmm. winding his watch, putting life into it, tucking it into his vest. It was a big deal, right? Absolutely. Um, everything you owned was special. And so that pocket watch was a big, big deal for him. Um, and so for me, I've always been fascinated and had a love of pocket watches. Particularly, I prefer manual wine watches because of that as well. Um, but when I was younger, my mom used to every once in a while let me wind it and, and you could hear it tick, 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 tick. So it got my, my brain wrapped around this, this you giving life to something mechanical. It's pretty amazing. I really like pocket watches too. I, I uh, it's um, representative of a bygone era, you know. It, it's very uh, well. It goes it's so interesting. It goes with everything I said before about about uh, uh, everything vintage. I love yeah. everything vintage, even if it's modern vintage. You know, uh, like a modern take on vintage. Um, but I like older cars way more than I like newer cars. Oh, thank you. Like <laughs> I cars, hate Lamborghinis. Cars from yeah. the fifties. Cars from the sixties. Uh, even cars from the early 70s, I, I absolutely love them. 
Were you driving a trans Trans Am back in the day? Uh? No, in fact, I, I went to a pretty much an all Italian uh, high school, uh, or, or a few Portuguese and a few Croatians, but but pretty much all Italian. So all the all the uh, what well, we used to call them Dagos. I don't know what you call them now, but but we used to call all the Italians Dagos. I was one of them, but I, I wasn't a Dago. The Dagos were the grease ball kind. Oh, they they all drove the Trans Ams and yeah. the Firebirds and all that stuff. So I hated. Oh, that's funny. I hated those cars. You know, the Trans Am with T tops. Yeah, that, that was the cool thing, right? I hated absolutely hated those cars because to me it represented those people right but as i got older i i really grew much more of an appreciation for it and probably because as i got older the cars kind of all morphed into the same thing the only mm-hmm. thing that's changed is the logo on the front and back bumper right the cars are all the same like they really are and they're boring there's no personality uh my, my first classic car was a 1952 cadillac oh, and, and i say wow that's goodness. when chrome ran wild with the buffalo it's like it was just so much chrome you didn't know what to do with it you could fit 12 bodies in the trunk oh, it yeah. was amazing <laughs> yeah know? well those vehicles for people who do those things are they make boats look small oh absolutely they, they absolutely <laughs> they're do huge yeah yeah um and, you know so that was my first uh vintage and and I've, I've gotten out of the 50s cars primarily because they're not practical to drive and when i buy them i want to drive them um so they break down quite regularly they weren't meant to be driven the way we drive today no of course not uh so i've, I've moved into the early 70s cars which i like but uh, still vintagey it's vintage it's more retro for me than vintage <laughs> i was i was a, a kid uh, when those cars came out well, if anyone, and yourself included, is interested in old school vehicles, uh, Counts Customs, Customs with a K, yep. they're a Vegas, sh- uh, uh, Vegas car shop. Yep. Uh, they're really cool. They're, yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen their stuff. They they do uh, more modern versions, modern yep. twists, resto mods. That's right. Which is uh, which are really good. Actually, what I'm more into is, is restoring rather than modifying. Sure. Um, I don't have a problem with modif- modified cars. In fact, I think that part of me really, 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 really wants a resto mod, like a rat rod version of yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so picky with what I want in my head that I don't, I don't know how to explain it to a car guy, how to make it or do it to the point where I want to take that step. But if I found something out of a junkyard... And I'm like, wow, the frame is good. I don't care about the body. And I could put a, a new engine in there and just keep it like that. I'd do that too. But I, to me, there's beauty in, in a patina. The patina on, on old cars, they don't need to be repolished. Keep some of that rust on. Clear coat it on there if you can. I don't know what you can do to them. Uh, but but it, it's to me, they're beautiful. Well, you got you know one eye on the past and, and one eye on the future, right? You got to respect the, the way that things came up and then also how you can tweak it and kind of put your own twist on it absolutely and, and hearing you talk about cars is exactly the same way you talk about jewelry and how yeah. you're designing it you, you have the idea but then you also put that that person the customers the clients twist on it you have your own approach on it so you kind of encompass as many um as many unique qualities as you can and it certainly translates and when you yeah, look yeah. at the photos um of the of the pieces certainly uh they'll see that too awesome so thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. My Hopefully pleasure. it was fun for you. I can't believe how that's probably the I can't yeah, believe that, how fast that, that was. Yeah, flew by pretty quick. Yeah. So, so sorry, hopefully I can we uh, no. Hopefully we didn't get you into trouble. Um, no, no, you're not getting me into trouble. Just... Not yet. 
Not yet, exactly. <laughs> when I when I get ho- actually, it's perfect timing. My kids are probably still taking their afternoon nap. There when I get, when I get home, they'll probably just be going berserk. So. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. But thank you very much for being here. Had a great time with you. My pleasure. And um, so tell well tell us where you are and where we oh. can find you. Uh, Palladio Jewelers. We are at uh, Hastings and Hornby, uh, downtown Vancouver, 900 West Hastings. And uh, you can find us on our website at palladiojewelers.com. Uh, Instagram, palladio underscore jewelers. Jewelers is always J-E-W-E-L-L-E-R-S. Um, Facebook, of course, all the social media that we said we love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... Um, uh, or oh, phone number six zero four six eight five three eight eight five. So uh, we're uh, we're ready to help anybody that uh, the two people that might be listening to your show. There you go. <laughs> you, your two, mom, your mom more, and dad. Two more than yesterday, right? <laughs> so your mom and dad know where to find us. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and uh, the shop is your. That's your new location. That's our new location. Incredible. Yeah. We've been there a few yeah. times. Thank you. Beautiful shop. Thank you. And um, the other thing I wanted to say. Um, not everything in your shop costs tens of thousands of dollars. Not at all. Not at all. We, we cater to uh, just about every price point. What we don't compromise on, though, is quality. So what somebody might have in their mind to get for $1,000, as uh, uh, it might be totally different vision in our store, but that's because other shops will compromise the quality to we call it flash for cash. It, it, it's <laughs> that's in, good. That's the industry calls it that. It's basically you just you just want to buy something flashy. You don't care what it is. Where I say it's always better to buy something of quality than to buy something of size. So, but we do. We have something for everybody, and and all price points. Yeah, and and we're we're all customers of yours too. I mean, I've bought stuff from you. We've all we've all kind of bought stuff from and you. I'm, and I'm very appreciative of that, by the way. Oh, and it's be- and it's but it's it's worth it's worth the money it's beautiful stuff yeah it's phenomenal and yeah that's the other, i just want to press that for for people who are listening i don't want them thinking that they're uh they're boxed out uh price no 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 not at all i mean you've showed me stuff in, in your shop i think you showed me one thing it was 75 dollars or 100 dollars or something like that it was like yep. a little little pendant but it was really really i think it was like a little butterfly or something yeah it was really cute but um yeah, we've, yeah. We, we got a lot of stuff for and and most of the stuff that we have is well below I'm talking like 90% of the product we have is well below the stuff that we've been talking about in numbers yeah. and cents. Uh, I, I would say in jewelry, uh, below a thousand bucks, we're very well stocked. You know, below 5,000 bucks, extremely well stocked. And we have very little that goes above 10,000 uh, unless it's a showpiece. Um, but there's customers for those showpieces. Most of the high end pieces that we were discussing are pieces that we were uh, charged with making. So right. we people came and said, I want to buy this. I want to do something special. I want to do something unique. And I want to spend the money on it to get the one of a kind. So nobody will ever have another one of these pieces that you've seen uh, because of that. Yeah. You got, a, you got yeah. unique, unique pieces, expensive, not so expensive, everything. You got it covered. Yeah. I don't even call it expensive. I say higher price points, but very worth, very worth the money. One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't wait to be a lawyer and watch all my money go bye bye into watches and. <laughs> you, yeah. If you're a really good lawyer, your money won't go bye bye. Well, that's what it's it just is. some of it. I'm going to be inciting people to commit crimes so I can get paid to go uh, buy watches. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what you got to do. So thank you again very much. And it's, uh, honestly, an honor. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So uh, yeah, that's a wrap. And yeah, I was worried you were going to make me look like an ass. I did a good job. No, myself. you did that all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me go see my kids. That's right. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> Bye.